Uh, my wife and I, for some of you um, that know, we're, we're in, uh, in the middle of buying a house. It's kind of the first time we've done this. And uh, if you've ever gone through this process before, you know, it's very exciting, especially if, you know, uh, we used to have cable and could, you know, watch HDTV and see like, oh man, this is such an exciting process. Like, get to do this. But really, it's so different <laughs> when you're really going through it. Not so exciting. Sometimes it can be very frustrating, difficult to work through. <clears throat> and the house that we're looking at, it's kind of like a post-depression house. And, and so um, one of the things with that is usually there's some repairs that need to be done. So we had the home inspection. And one of the things that need to be done was like foundationally, because it, it kind of has a crawl space, one of those older homes that's kind of lifted off the ground. And so some of the beams underneath, what they call like floor joists, are starting to rot out. There's like a lot of like water damage. So it's like, oh, like warning f- flags, you know, going up and, and all that type of stuff. But um, we immediately told them about them. They immediately got it fixed. So that's all good. But um, uh, Caleb and Casey, community pastor here, uh, they're on vacation today. But uh, they're also in, in the middle of kind of uh, purchasing a home. Kind of same story. They've got some things that they've got to get fixed, some foundational things. And nothing's more important on a house than the foundation than what's literally holding the house up. Um, down um, where I grew up, um, did you? Anybody hear about that sinkhole that, like, swallowed that dude? So gnarly, so crazy. And that had nothing to do with the foundation. Um, but the same thing if a foundation took place. It's actually the foundation of the earth. That, so it's even bigger than the actual foundation of that, that that fell out. But such a huge part of a building process. Jesus talked about this in, in Matthew 7 and at the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he said that no one builds a house on sand because when the storm comes, it's going to, you know, blow away. Uh, but they build it on a firm foundation. As we're kind of beginning to engage in, in real-life community, um, not just a semblance of community or not just living in a neighborhood, but really beginning to engage deeper and, and really begin to embody what the early church was living um, it, it's really important for us that we set a firm foundation, not built on sand, not built on <clears throat> anything that we'd like to, but really just the truth that kind of comes from Scripture. So today we're going to do that. If you were with us last week, that was kind of like 101 in which we looked at, really we're supposed to be reflecting the nature of God, the Father's love and acceptance in his heart and transforming into the pattern and the image of Christ and being empowered by the Holy Spirit to live radically in our community so that he can make a radical difference. And so that's kind of, kind of 101. We're moving into 201. Next week we're going to kind of hit 301 if we're just looking at this like class-wise and get into how sometimes community can be messy and ultimately we're going to talk about how 401 is kind of when we're going out to in our communities and really making a difference and, and, and letting God transform those communities. So we're just a couple of weeks after Easter now, right? Just a couple of weeks after Easter. Um, and, and kind of what takes place early on when like Easter really happened, like that the resurrection, what took place there is God kind of left it with his disciples to build the church and he was building a community of people. And, and so we're going to kind of pick up text-wise in, in the scriptures about where that takes place in the book of Acts. We're going to Acts chapter 42, or 42, there's no Acts 42, in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 42. That's where the 42 comes in. I dropped a, a check in that midst. No information for you, just dropped it. All right, let's look at the text. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And we're going to be heading to verse 42 here in just a second. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, 
for all the Lord our God will call. With many other words, you warned them and you pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. A lot of times we get like real weirded out because we think like we're living in super like corrupt generation, which I feel like we are, but it's also been going forever. Like um, since the fall of man, there's been corruption in the world. And, and so many times we look at such a temporal view of life Uh, But God sees eternity, and as Christians, we've got to begin to see our everyday, not with a one-day perspective, with the one-hour perspective, but with eternity in mind, that that our hope is secure in Jesus. And some of you may just need that peace that this text speaks to us, um, I believe, right now. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I get really excited about that and want to teach on that and just like hammer that vision. Uh, We're going to wait a couple of weeks and get there. Let's look at verse uh, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The house we're buying is like, it's kind of rectangular, and so there's just kind of like four kind of posts in each corner. And so I believe these are kind of like the four posts for biblical community that we find in the the text here in in a real, there's so much to it, but I feel like this one verse kind of begins to, to, to set a firm foundation for what we should be striving for and seeking in our life. And I believe that we're going to be transformed in this process. Because really the truth of the matter is that the foundation of, of the church, God's, God's left it in our hands. We looked at Genesis last week, and, and not only did he, he leave the, the church in our hands, but in fact he left the earth in our hands. As humans, he said, go, create, take care of the land, you know, let animals grow, take care of the animals, take care of the land, take care of people, have, you know, baby, lots of babies, those type of things. Um, but as we kind of begin to get into this text, really realize that there's a responsibility here um, for each of us to, to be a part of community in a deeper way. And here's what it says that for their community, they were devoted, they were devoted you know, and often, I feel like in our society, we're very flighty, and there's not very many things we're devoted to. We get excited about things for a little while. Is anybody like a hobbyist that kind of jumps around to different hobbies? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And we kind of like to, to jump around and kind of get in different things. But I, I feel like there's a real lack of devotion in so many areas, especially within the church, when it comes to these four things. So let's dive in straight to these four things. This is, this is all we're doing today, it's these four Things. The apostles' teaching. Um, one of the places I, I love to go, and, and really what we're, we're looking at here is truth. And the apostles were teaching the truth. They were teaching Jesus. They were teaching doctrine and truth. And, and so really, when they're devoting themselves to their teaching, that's again us looking ourselves and devoting ourselves to Scripture and the truth. One of the places I, I love to go as a person who's always sought wisdom from, from an early age, just wanting to know truth, wanting knowledge and, and wisdom to be revealed um, is, is this one passage in, in, in Scripture that shows up a bunch of times, the same phrase. And it's one that often I, th- I think I, I had a kind of a, a misconception of early on. And it's this phrase, the fear of the Lord. Did anybody ever say, um, like from your mom, dad, or, or some family, I'm going to put the fear of the Lord in you? <laughs> anybody get that? I, I used to get that. So my understanding was like scared to death, like my dad's going to spank me or something. So that was my understanding of, the, of fear of the Lord. But as I began to look in this, there was one, it shows up all through, throughout the text, uh, throughout scriptures, 
but it shows up several times in the same form, and it's followed, this phrase is followed by another kind of one word, one understanding, and it shows up in Proverbs 9, it shows up in Proverbs 1, it shows up in Psalms 111, it shows up in a ton of places. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs 1, it says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and only foolish don't want that wisdom. They don't want that knowledge. They don't want understanding. So the fear of the Lord has to be a starting place. And one text I always love to bring out, because I feel like it rounds out our understanding of what Scripture speaks about our relationship with God. And it's in 1 John chapter 4, in which we see this one simple phrase, God is love. Throughout the text in 1 John chapter 4, we see a whole teaching against false doctrine, against false teachings and false prophets that would come in and try to confuse us uh, as believers. We see teaching on that, and then we see this phrase, God is love, and then later it says, and perfect love casts out fear. And, and so for me, in understanding, okay, so if perfect love casts out fear, but we're supposed to have a fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of the wisdom, how does this work together? Well, let me break down fear of the Lord for a second. Because ultimately, it's not a matter of us just being scared of God. What fear of the Lord is, it's honoring God. It's placing him in the highest place of reverence and honor in our lives. It's not, I'm scared that he's going to strike me dead, but I believe that he is sovereign over all. I believe that he rules over all. I believe that his truth is so much greater than my tiny little understanding of today and in this moment and what I've been able to gain in my couple of years on this earth. But he sees eternity he sees all things, and, and, and that fear of the Lord is a reverence and honor, and I think we have to reflect on this for a second and say, do we really have that fear of the Lord? Because I feel like that's something that is, we're being, that's being lost in this generation, is a real fear of the Lord, and almost sometimes we joke about holy things, and, and I'm not here to like get all like super like religious on anybody and like slap anybody's hands, but I think ultimately we've got to ask ourselves, do we have this highest reverence and honor for God, or is he just this element of our life? And as he takes this role in our, our life, it begins to change us, and no longer are we seeing him, oh, we're just afraid, but perfect love has cast out fear, and the ultimate fear of God is the ultimate love for God. And those two are the same thing, that perfect love, and now we're no longer living out of fear, but we're living out of love and the relationship we have for him. His sovereignty and lifting him to that place changes us in that we're no longer driven by fear, but it's cast out, and we're just in love. You'll do a lot more for love. You'll have a lot better attitude and enjoyment of life when you live in love and not in fear. It's an awful place to live. So this teaching, but but we live in in a society that there's a war over truth, is there not? I mean, do we not live in this society that's kind of like warring over truth and a battle for truth? And really what's taking place in our generation is that we've grown more and more prideful and that we've become our own God. And this is a, a very common teaching and understanding. And believe it or not, I would say over a majority, in some way, shape, or form, we have this understanding now that everyone gets to be their own God and make their own choices. Of course they get to make their own choices, but, but they, they, they get to, to make their own truth, what is right and wrong. And, and here's where that begins to run out. We, we see that, first of all, that, that can't be true. We can't all be right. We can't all have our own way. Um, because here's what happens is we say, okay, everyone gets to decide, make their own truth. What about the, the guy across the street from you that likes to eat babies? That's his truth. Okay, oh, so we don't believe that anymore, do we? <laughs> 
That is a little bit weird for us to, to think, oh, yeah, well, he gets to make his, his rules, right? He gets to be his own God. It's pride that's been driven into our generation, and it's in our, our mindset. And you say, maybe that's just a small piece of a, a philosophical argument, but there's, it's so much deeper than that. My whole teaching is on that today. But there's a battle over truth, and, and we as stewards of what God's given us here. In the church and, and in the earth, we have a responsibility and I don't, I'm not a guy that comes always thinking like, oh, I'm the Lord's warrior <laughs> to come in and fight for him. In fact, most of the time I realize that God's fighting for me. And if I'll just let him do my battles, I usually end up a lot better on this side of the deal. Um, I, I love so many of the stories, and I can't wait to get into some of these throughout Scripture in which God like removes people and gets them in really, really like gnarly like situations. And like they think they have this huge army, then all of a sudden the whole army backs out and they've just got a few and they're fighting with just a few, and it allows God to show up and be who he really wants to be in our lives. And so, but there's this battle over truth, and we've got to steward it, and we've got to steward it well, and we've got to be serious about truth. And it, to me, it's the cornerstone of a foundation for a solid community. And one thing we don't want to be, and one of the things we kind of discussed, and we've discussed all along, is a community that says, you know, just because you don't believe we hate you, you get out of here. This has been like, like the common kind of understanding for community. But in fact, we believe that the truth, God will fight for himself. And if we allow him to, to use us, we can speak truth into others' lives. That's where God can radically transform. So allowing him to speak truth into our communities, regardless of whether we all agree on the same thing or not, letting God speak that in and going back to the text and letting him reveal that. So the first thing is apostles' teaching. I think we have to ask ourselves, where is truth? Where is that fear of the Lord as perfect love cast it out? Are we just still scared every day that we're going to mess up and God's going to strike us dead? Or are we living in love and a desire for truth? I think that begins to transform us in really significant ways. The second thing is fellowship that shows up here. Fellowship. The Greek word that, that, that comes up is, is the word koinonia, and I want to talk about that here in just a second. Uh, but fellowship is a, is a funny word, um, especially the word fellowshipping. Like, is anybody ever heard, we're going to go, we've been fellowshipping all night. Anybody ever heard that? It's just like, this f- word fellowship is somewhat of a really churchy word. I think actually you type it into like word documents and it might not even show up. The fellowshipping. Fellowship will, but fellowshipping. It's a very much a, a churchy term, and most of the time it comes down to uh, like the church understanding is like eating and hanging out. Like that, that's our understanding of, of fellowship. But, but the Greek word koinonia is so much deeper here of what it was talking about in the early church community. What was taking place was not just a, a devotion to truth and to the apostles' teaching, but to fellowship. And this Greek word koinonia means participation, means a real unity and community and communion that was taking place. And this is something that I think we often don't engage in. In fact, my um, A.W. Tozer, uh, who was a theologian that wrote a book called The Pursuit of God, in, in that he, he talked about this word fellowship. And really, fellowship uh, for believers it is not us connecting physically and emotionally. It's connecting at the point of, of God. It, it's connecting in worship towards God. So 
when you come in here today, you may connect on a physical and emotional level. You may be moved by songs. You may feel sorry for things you've done. So you can connect physically. You could worship. You could partake in bread. You can do all of these things, connecting physically and emotionally, but not connect spiritually. So therefore, I, I don't think you've fellowshiped. I don't think we've really gotten this understanding of what fellowship is all about. I think the opposite is true, too. If we come in and we truly connect to God, we'll leave satisfied. If we truly come in to connect at that point, many times the, the first connection we have is someone shaking our hands, and the last thing we're thinking about of this is a brother or a sister in Christ today. This is one of God's children. We don't really connect at that point. We're like, hey man, what's up? Good to see you. How's your week been? We kind of do the monotony. And many times, I don't know about you, whatever our encounters can be, sometimes they can be so superficial and just leave us dry. Has anybody ever been there before? But here's what I know. If you connect spiritually, if you come and say, I want to meet God through these people and through an encounter with his word and in worship, if we, if we do that, we'll never leave unsatisfied. And, and in that, there'll always be a physical and emotional connection there will always be some kind of response in that when we connect spiritually. But if we try to just connect physically and emotionally and we try to force something to take place, rather we should just connect at the point of Jesus. We should come in here and connect to God, and that's true fellowship. And it brings such depth to our encounter, it leaves us satisfied other than the rest of our kind of surface level encounters that we can you know, engage in just a couple of moments with people. That's part of the reason for our anchor groups is to create a, a, a greater depth of community that we can actually engage in each other's lives and, and truly begin to devote ourselves to this. This is fellowship. It, it's deeper than what often we allow it to be. That transformed me because I, I remember uh, attending a, a church uh, when I was in college. Um, I was traveling and, and didn't attend weekly because we were traveling so much, but, but I would attend this, this, um, this Baptist church down the road. It had an incredible pastor. I just really liked this pastor. He had kind of a, a, an Irish accent, and I just love that. <laughs> I was like, I just could sit and listen to him all day because all the end of his words would have like this little like lucky charm ending. Um, that was very exciting. Um, uh, but it, but I, I love the teaching, but the, the worship was awful. And I, I'm a musician. I'm a worship leader. Many of you know that. And um, you know, music was such a big deal in so much of my life. So to come into a place where, like, I couldn't connect. I just had trouble connecting. I learned so much in that moment because it was no longer about the physical things. Most of the congregation was um, not really in my age bracket, and I had difficult times connecting and, and meeting people. Most of that was on my own fault. I walked in and I walked out most of the time. But ultimately, I learned so much through that. That when I came, it was not about connecting to the people around me. It was about connecting, fellowshipping with the body through Jesus at the point of Christ. I also realized this when I was across the world. I, I would go to countries where they didn't even speak the same language as me. But I, I kind of understood by translators that they worshiped the same God as me. And we had something in common. There was a fellowship there. It brings depth to our encounter that we aren't just meeting in this room and fellowshipping together. But today... Christians across the world, persecuted in house churches in China, and in revivals in South America where millions of people are gathering, hundreds of thousands of people are gathering and coming to hear the gospel. We're in that fellowship today. And like that is like huge. It's not like the surface level physical and emotional response. It's a big deal and it changes us. So devotion to the apostles, teaching into fellowship. 
Last two things, kind of building on, on what we, we're working on. To the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread is uh, what we're going to do here in just a few moments. I was going to put my hands in that, but I'm going to pass. I was going to pick it up as like a nice illustration. Look at this bread. And all of you guys are like, I'm not going to that station. <laughs> um, uh, but, but devotion to breaking of bread. And really, when, when Jesus established this, does anybody know where he was at? He's not in the temple. He's sitting around a table. He said, every time you get together, I want you to do this. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember my sacrifice. I want you to remember my teachings. I want you to look forward to my return. It it was such a a deep principle. And so many times we've made it this kind of surface level religious kind of action in which Jesus was trying to get this into all of our life. He was sitting around a table. He wasn't sitting in a church or a temple. He was sitting around a table with his followers, with his disciples, he said, whenever you get together, I want you to do this. What he was doing was he was infusing the gospel to our sustenance. The thing that you rely on most in your life after air and oxygen is food and water. He said, when, when you eat, every time you eat, three times a day, two to five times a day, whatever your diet is, when you're eating, you're not going to get away from this. And as much as you rely on, on physical sustenance to provide for you, I want you to re- rely on me for spiritual sustaining and provision. He, he, he was saying, don't get into this religious habit that, that God had tried to break early on of just coming in and worshiping when, when in the Ten Commandments says, don't make an idol. Don't make an idol because God was basically saying, I don't want you to be able to come in, worship me for a moment, and then think you leave my presence. Jesus was, was basically establishing that same principle on a daily basis that I don't want you to forget. I don't want you to go a meal without making me the center of your life. You are not going to get away from the cross. You are not going to get away from the resurrection and return of Jesus. He was speaking depth. And so, so whether you're meeting with believers or you're meeting with non-believers in a meal, there's something that can provide depth and focus to our walk with Christ. And it's not a Sunday activity. It's not a, a monthly or quarterly activity. It's Jesus sitting around the table and saying, whenever you meet together, do this. There was no Fathom Church to attend and, and receive communion at that time. It was around a table. And I want you to provide depth, depth and focus to your everyday life. Every time you take a bite of food, just to remember the cross, whether it's a wheat thin or whatever. I, I think it was less about that. It was the representation of, of his provision that he's made for us spiritually. He was connecting that to our physical provision. And it's huge for our community. It provides such depth to our life. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And lastly, I want to focus on is prayer. Prayer is a bit of a lost art, if I can even call it art. Um, It's a bit of a lost discipline in the church. And art's the wrong word, because often we're thinking, oh, I've got to figure out how to do this. But really, what God's looking for in this is first where we began with this is that there's a fear of the Lord, that there's honoring him. When we come in prayer, we don't come, hey, God, you're working for me today. <laughs> when he is, he is fighting for us. He is, he is all about us, but that's the wrong perspective as we approach in prayer. I think if, if you, you ever hear, you ever just need a win? 
You know what I mean? Anybody, you know, talking about where you're just kind of like going through life, you're like, man, I just really need a win. I need something to go my way. I'm kind of going against the grain. And sometimes that's what we, we live for is like just things to go our way. And, and you want to know a way that it can always go your way is when your will is the Father's will. It's when your heart is his heart. It'll, I promise on a regular basis it will not make sense to you. The pain and suffering we'll go, we go through will not make sense to me. It will not make sense to you. And it hurts and we're confused and we can't work our way through that. But when our heart is, God, you know better than me and you work all things for good. You can revive the dead areas of my life. When that happens, wins happen. We're always on the winning side and that's the incredible news today. And, and prayer is simply moving him to the highest place and, and they're going to lead us in a, a song that is the Lord's Prayer. And when, Jesus, when the disciples were asking how to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. And, and sometimes in the midst of our chaos and our theological questions and our life questions, many times for me, I'm just like, God, I just need simplicity, man. I just need something simple to grab onto today. I don't care if you get all these four points. You can write them down and tell them to somebody tomorrow. But I want us to get this simplicity of a relationship and the communion that happens between us and God and a desire for truth. Not for our own truth, but that the fear of the Lord, the love of God has moved us to this place that all we want to do is please Him. All we want is His will. He's bringing such depth to our life out of our surface level encounters. So I don't know where you're at in here. You may be hearing some of this stuff for the first time, and actually all of you are, um, but, but something may be resonating within you, and, and you, you haven't, you've made yourself your own God, and, and you really want to, to come to the place where you recognize that, that God's Lord over all, and we believe that the Christian walk is more than just a raising of your hand or something like that. It, it's a big, it's a journey, it's a big journey, it's a big step, and if you're ready to make that decision, I want you to tell someone today, not right now, maybe in a few minutes when we engage in communion, I want you to go back to that corner, tell somebody, tell the person next to you, just say, I'm making a big decision today. <laughs> like, I've made myself my own God. And make that, that humble response. Or maybe we've just kind of been going through this surface level encounter of church, and, and maybe today we're, we're beginning to see a clearer picture that we're connecting at something much deeper than handshakes and hugs. But we're connecting at the point of Jesus. And through all this, God is bringing depth to a relationship with him. Because here's what happens in that prayer process. We submit ourselves, and, and, and intimacy begins to grow. And you may feel weird about being intimate with God, but God wants, he knows everything about you. So it's too late for intimacy. <laughs> To not have intimacy. God knows you. And maybe you just want to embrace that and get honest and real with him today. He knows. You can't have a relationship without honesty, communication. In that process, God's going to begin to heal. And ultimately what he's doing in, in prayer should be drawing us and unifying us to the work of God. To the heart of God. And now we see ourselves connected to so many others sitting around us. I want to invite you to stand for a moment. I'm going to say a word of prayer over us and these guys are going to lead us.
We worship. We're going to partake of the table in a moment. Let's pray. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for truth, God, that I'm not left to my own decisions because, God, I see how stupid they are on a regular basis. God, I thank you that my life is not lived without mercy and grace. God, I thank you that I'm not in this room alone today. I thank you that I'm not in this world alone today, that you sent a comforter here, God, with us. God, and for those that are experiencing a first encounter, a first view of you today, I pray that we would be changed and transformed to your image as we choose to follow you. God, bring us to intimacy. Bring us to communion with you, communion with each other, and true community. We love you today. Let's continue to worship with the band.